All right. Here we go. We got it. We're live. <laughs> we done did it. Chloe, help me out. I'm over here sweating. I know what it's like, man. You got to let, you know. Yeah. We're, get, we're getting the, the hang of this. You know, it's only two episodes in. So, you know, I appreciate you giving me the tech lesson breakdown. It's okay. Yeah. Anyway, what it do, cuz, welcome back to Put Em On, the podcast where we put you on to comics and creatives and beyond and also get their opinion on who should be uh who should be put on in the game you know who you who else you guys should know about um today i've got a great guest it's very funny a good friend of mine is so nice to have her back in new york city yeah she is a comic an author a writer emmy nominated mm -hmm. author it's no, yeah emmy nominated writer right writer yeah. writer uh Chloe Hilliard. Hey. It's so nice to have you here. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Your place is very nice. This is his real place if you're watching. <laughs> he has great taste in furniture and uh, home decor. Oh, thanks. Well, um, <laughs> now, I, I just don't give away the address. You know, oh, people, I'm not giving away the address. People going to dox saying, me like, on the internet and everything. Oh, you yeah, know, no, people going to show up. You know, they see I got a TV and a, shit. A mounted TV. You know, times <laughs> is hard. I did it myself, too. Oh, really? No task rabbit. Oh, so you're very handsy because you're from the country. Yeah. See, I had the so the last place I was at, I had somebody come and install it and I just watched him and then I was like, I can do that shit. Mm -hmm. So I, I did it myself this time, you know, save money. Yeah. You know, pick it up. I was sweating because it was, you know, it's a it's a good size TV. So I had to put it up there myself. You didn't have somebody to hold the other side for you? I, I tried and then like I, I put it up there with them and then uh, it was like it was still like loose in the back or something. And then they left and I was like, man, I got to have to take it down and put it back up again. So I just, I just thugged it out. Listen, you know, we need people like you because who knows what's going to happen in this country. We need people right. who actually know how to fix and do things because we are living in the internet. And when shit hits the fan, you got to be able to like roll your sleeves up exactly. and get some tools out. Yeah. That's what will be a hot asset when right. shit crumbles. Yeah. That's why I keep my friends from back home in North Carolina. Yeah. You know, I keep them close. Like I, I got a homie that you know he'll send to the group chat just projects he's doing around the crib mm -hmm. and you know he remodeled his whole bathroom and you know built out his whole home gym by himself all this wow. kind of stuff i'm like all right yeah yeah shit goes down they live on a farm like that's where i can go oh you gotta you know? get that map quest printout right yeah he's got <laughs> he's got a few blickies on him so i'm like all right yeah that's we all need that we all need somebody who is like in touch with nature the land in like a workshop yeah because i think it's a wrap for uh you know gen z and beyond if shit goes down you know they because they've been just dancing yeah you know they've been dancing on the internet they you don't know, know how to do anything right figuring out you know uh allergy intolerances and stuff like that so you know you need you need a little bit of um uh you know just closed-mindedness <laughs> If you want to survive. Yeah, people who are like, I don't give a fuck about no TikTok, no dance, no nothing. Right. I know these, I just trim my hedges with mm -hmm. my bare hands. Mm -hmm. My kid knows how to skin a deer. Yeah. He's four years old. We out here living. Yeah, if you got uh, mullets in your bloodline, mm. you know, we may not be like kicking it right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but like if things go down, if, if insurrection part do mm -hmm. come around. Because I feel like you are the good token black friend. Like, I feel like you are a lot of people's token black friend. That, yeah, yeah. You know, um, NBC and ABC, I need them to think the same thing so I can get this check <laughs> once the, the strikes go down, you know? But I am, so, like, I definitely have been, like, the, the one black friend in the circles before where, you know, I get the questions and everything. And mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, y'all got to... 
y'all got to branch out. Y'all got to do some hiring or something. Cause I don't want to, I don't want all this to fall on me. It's a lot of pressure. It is because it's your answers are unique to who you are as a person, not right. to who you are as a black man. Right. And then, and then there's some things I might not know. What don't you know, Jordan? I don't know, but I'm just saying sometimes they might be like, you know, what's up with this black aspect? And I'm like, bro, I don't know. And then ne- okay, next thing you know, fair. they, they check in your blackness. I'm like, I'm the only one you got <laughs> anyway. Like you ain't even a member of the tribe. Yeah. Well, it's a lot of pressure, but I believe that you're going to hold it down. And yeah. also think about it this way. If you do make it down there when shit hits the fan and you're mm. now in the compound with them, you get to rewrite black history. Yo. You get to tell it that way and you should teach. You know, I know they don't want CRT being taught. Right. But if it's JRT, then you can go down there and make it your own. JRT. Mm-hmm. Damn, what would be some of my teachings in JRT? I don't know. Man. I gotta really, I gotta really think on that. You better, you better out, start your lesson plan. Yeah, figure out what the JRT empire of is gonna be. Because right course. now the JRT empire is, is a Joe Rogan theory, and we gotta switch that up a little <laughs> you got bit. To, you gotta reclaim that. You know, not to come at, you know, the number one podcast in the world two episodes in, but <laughs> we starting off hot here. Stakes is high. We starting off hot here. <laughs> Don't know what y'all about, Chloe. Uh, how long uh, you so? You just got back to New York mm-hmm. for a little. You just decided to grace us with your presence. Absolutely. Again, because, you know, you've uh, you you've got you've got a story. You've been in different lanes and avenues mm-hmm. throughout your career, having switch ups and everything like yeah. that. Yeah. You know, from yeah. from, you know, being a, a journalist and, you know, mm-hmm. getting into comedy, you know, a New York lifer until one day. Until one day I was on Instagram and I saw chloe dewy skin popping <laughs> selfie on instagram with sunshine and palm trees behind her yeah in the height of the pandemic yep and she was gone she Out. was like i'm going back to cali she went to yep. california mm-hmm. and i was like okay good for chloe yep. then maybe about a year later i saw blonde hair i said oh she gone <laughs> she's never coming back She's never coming back. LeBron's never going back to the Cavs. Chloe's never coming back never to New come, York. No, I'm not. It's I'm done. Sorry. Yeah. I actually was just thinking, I was like, I've been coming here for the past couple months. Yeah. Because my job ended. I had some time. And then the strike happened. So I really had time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'll go back to New York. But um, this is my last time coming here for a couple, yeah. for a little bit. Okay. Not like a little bit. I'll be back in November because I'm, I'm doing the city winery in okay. New York. So that'll be like my first big show here in like a long time. In November. In November. November 4th. November 4th. Good um, tickets. Yeah. So I'll be back for that. But I've been coming back here pretty consistently. And I'm like, all yeah. right, I think I'm. I think I got my fill. Because you, you're born and raised here in New mm-hmm. York, right? All my family's from here. I've never lived anywhere else. All my family's still here. Um, I moved there to L.A. December 2020 during the pandemic. Wow. And it's been great. I actually wonder. I was like, oh, man, I, I always thought about moving to California. It was always in the back of my mind. I knew eventually, like, as a writer and producer, mm-hmm. I was going to have to end up going. And then when the pandemic happened and I was not about to go on the road during a pandemic, I was like. Right. Actually, it wasn't even me who made the final. I made the final decision, but like I had a lot of people telling me like you need to move to LA. Really? And I had and I just couldn't ignore it anymore. Is that support or is that just like get get out of here? No, it was support. It's like I was working. I mean, talking about somebody putting them on. Like I was working 
during the pandemic remotely for Larry Wilmore. He had a show on Peacock. Okay. And I had met him previously when he was hosting the nightly show, which came on Comedy Central after the Daily Show. Right. And so I just had done it as like a panelist, as a comedian. Mm -hmm. So we met a couple times. And um, and then he launched a new show. It was on Peacock, like right when Peacock just started. Right. And it was during the election cycle of Hillary versus Donald Trump. Oh. And so it was a late night political talk show with like, you know, each episode was about like a, a political e platform that was important at the time. So like George Floyd and like immigration, all that stuff. And that's the stuff I love and, you know, talking about as a former journalist. So I was like, oh, yeah, I can write yeah. comedically on this show. And we worked remotely for like six months. And towards the end of it, everybody in the room was like, you need to move to California. Like, stop playing. You need yeah. to move. And I was like, I don't know. Because you're doing all this over Zoom. Zoom, yeah. And this is this is 2020? This is this is like August 2020 to December Okay, so yeah. right in the middle of the yeah. pandemic. Like, we're, you know, mm -hmm. pandemic strong. Yeah, and so when Larry's show was getting ready to end, everybody in the room was like, you know, you got to move to California, right? Really? And I was like, really? It was like, you have to move. And I was like, I don't know. I'm waiting for something to bring me there. Because that was always my stipulation. Like, mm -hmm. I want to. I want something to bring me to California. Like, a job offer. Delusional. Because that's not how it works. It's so funny, <laughs> as New Yorkers, like, how that is our stipulation often. It's like, I'm only going to California yep. if I'm brought to California. Mm -hmm. But California, I mean, it, it, we're, say, we're literally saying, I'm only going there. It, sunshine and happiness isn't good enough for yeah. us. There's so many reasons to move to California. Well, that's eventually what happened. Like the show, Larry Wilmore's show finished December 4th or Friday, December 4th. And I moved to California that Saturday, December 5th. Mm -hmm. Like I, it was like, all right, I'm doing it. I'm going to do it. And so I did. And the truth is like when you go to California, especially working in the industry, you do have to just physically be there because everybody else is physically there. Yeah. The people who are talented and the people who are not talented are there. So that's why you have to physically be there because when you try to get a meeting with somebody and all of that other stuff, it's like, you're at the whim of them because they love to cancel a meeting. They love to reschedule you and they don't want to hear, Oh, I'm only here for a week. They'd be like, well, then you don't really want to be here right. because somebody just packed up their car and drove cross country and they are going to be at my doorstep every single day for an opportunity. And you want me to change my schedule to accommodate you. Right? No, that's not how it works. And also when you're there, then people can refer you because things would come to me every time I would go to California for like a short term thing. I would get offered other jobs and I would say, no, I got to go back on the road. I got to go do colleges or mm. all my family's in New York, you know. And at the time, my grandmother, we had just moved her up here from South Carolina after my grandfather passed. So I was a part of care, you know, the yeah. caregiving team for that. So I was like, I got these things, responsibilities. And then when I was working on that show, I was like, OK, you know what? It's a pandemic. I don't want to think about like what could happen if I don't take this opportunity. Like if yeah. the world crumbles, I was turning 40 at the time. I'm like, if this is it, let me mm -hmm. see what what else could he, happen. He was writing in your Moesha journal. Yeah, I was like, dear diary, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> shit has gone left. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I packed up and I took my dog and we went to California. Wow. And no regrets at this point. No, it's been amazing. I'm very blessed and fortunate, but I also am aware that everything that I had done in my life up until that point led me to be in a position where I could go there and thrive. The relationships right. I met with people, people who can vouch for me, the, th the things that I did for myself, like during the pandemic, 
I started a late night talk show called mm. Chloe Across America at my kitchen table. Yeah. And I was doing that show, producing it by myself, booking the guests, making the graphics, doing the editing, release it as a podcast. And I had my dear friend who's no longer with us, Tim Moore, who was like my right hand man. It was just he and I doing the controls. And I did it four nights a week. And then when I got the Larry Wilmore show, I reduced it to one night a week just because I had, you know, a job. Yeah, it's getting paid. And but 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 doing that show at my dining room table is what helped me get the Larry Wilmore show because when wow. they interviewed me, they were like, "Wait, so you've been producing a show at night by yourself for like six weeks mm. every night?" And I'm yeah. like, "Yeah, I just do it for fun." They were like, "Oh yeah, you can you can do this job." <laughs> See, that's that's that work that gets work. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a that's a perfect like opportunity as far as like put them on goes you know just the theme of this show yeah what so like backtracking a bit before you know you get to larry wilmore and all that kind of stuff i mean even before comedy you know with journalism that's like the first that was your first passion i'm assuming yeah yeah journalism Mm -hmm. yeah so with you know that i mean what first of all did you go to college and graduate with a journalism degree and all that kind of stuff where'd you go nyu okay damn see (laughs) Wow. I, I've only heard tales of NYU like in the distance. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, NYU. How was your experience there? Um, well, I'm from New York, so it wasn't like I moved away. Right. It was just like I was 20 minutes from my house, my apartment that I yeah. grew up in right across the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, I played basketball there, so I got to live on campus. Oh, so wow. I lived right there off of Union Square. And then up by Union, um, like so, Washington Square Park and Union Square, those are where my dorms were. So you would yam on somebody and then write an article about how they just got posterized after. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, I got. I mean, I truthfully, I wasn't that great of a basketball player. I was good. Yeah. I was a bench, come off the bench, deep, deep bench. Yeah. Team morale leader. Team morale. <laughs> Yo, team you guys morale got leader. this. Yeah, yo, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm giving them like tips on the yeah. sideline, like, oh, she weak, she ain't got no left. We got right. this girl. That was a nice dime. Yeah, but you know, I think about like basketball. Like basketball served the purpose for me. Like mm-hmm. I started playing late, so I wasn't like a naturally gifted athletic person. I didn't start till I was in ninth grade mm-hmm. when I got to high school, and I was like, yo, I want some fun shit to do. And I went to go sign up. I really wanted to do volleyball because I was like, oh, that's girly, girly, and like all the boys like the volleyball girls. So I was like, oh, let me. Let me get out got, here. They all got the dumps. They got the dumps, right? But see, the thing with me is I got thighs and I couldn't be wearing them panty shorts. So I was oh, like, I don't yeah. think I could play volleyball. And then I got saved by the basketball coach. I was about to sign up for volleyball and the basketball coach was like, no, you should play basketball. She I was said, like, no, 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 okay. no. She said, come, come with me. Yeah, come, come over here. And that's how I ended up playing basketball. Wow. See, I always, see, I never got to play a sport growing up. Got to. What do you yeah. mean? You were not well, allowed? Well, it, it wasn't even so much as allowed. See, my parents split up when I was like five, mm-hmm. and my dad moved an hour and a half away. So the way our time was split, how I go see him on the weekends, you know, just with that drive and the commute and everything, it just wasn't going to work yeah. out. Like, I wanted to play baseball. That was my sport. But my dad would have me out on the court playing tennis. Mm. Yeah, which, I mean, it's still hitting a ball, but I was like, this isn't fulfilling for me, <laughs> no. you know? But funny enough i was pretty good at it like i picked it up pretty naturally and to this day he says like if uh if i kept with tennis i wouldn't be pl- uh, doing comedy yeah but you didn't <laughs> you know? love tennis i didn't love tennis yeah that's the thing I, every day i was there, I was like i wish this was a baseball Aww. but what was uh, his reason for tennis over i think baseball? i think um because tennis is actually like a social sport as far as like when you become an adult like you can actually make uh 
you know, just friends playing tennis. Like mm-hmm. you can make, uh, you know, connections playing tennis because I don't know, just people play tennis for whatever yeah, reason. Like it's a, it, it doesn't need nine people like baseball does. That's true. You know, it's just like, oh, you play tennis. Let's go out there and, you know, just hit a couple balls. So he was thinking about your social life as an adult. Yeah, he was thinking about that. But also he just loves tennis. Oh, like my dad is a tennis fan. Yo, I used to get so pissed off growing up because, you know, we had one television and didn't have cable. And, you know, this was back in the days when TV came with the pliers. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. you had to turn, yep. you know, <laughs> that shit. And, uh, you know, tennis would be on all day. So I'd want to watch, you know, Animaniacs oh, and, man. you know, oh. Pinky and the Brain on Saturday mornings. But he just, the whole television would be <sighs> Pete Sampras, Andre Agassi, yeah, Venus and Serena. Yeah, my parents love tennis, too. Yeah, my parents love tennis, too. But they, all day. But we, I had a television in my room. And tennis is the <laughs> longest sport in the world, dude. Forever. People think baseball is long and boring. Like, I mean, I get it. I get that, you know, that sentiment. But, man, tennis lasts forever. Because I'd be like, okay, so once they finish this, they, they're done. And he's like, no, no, no. They got to do that six more times. And they have to do that three more times. And you would just hope that somebody would be out in, like, three sets. Because Yo. you'd be like, I cannot go to five. For real. Five. For real. They'd be like, this is a legendary match. I'd be like, man. So does he still feel that way about tennis? Loves tennis. In fact, my dad will be here uh, this week. For the U.S. Open? For the U.S. Open. We're mm. going to the U.S. Open. Now it's our, like, father-son annual oh. little thing that we do. So do you enjoy watching it? I now? enjoy it now. Oh, I enjoy okay. it now. I may not keep up with it as much as he does, mm-hmm. but there are, you know, once it gets, like, deep into, like, tournaments, you know, I'll throw on the, the semifinals and finals and stuff like that, and I enjoy going to the U.S. Open. It's a good time. Yeah. You know, just go out there, that spend $13 on hot dogs. My first job was at the U.S. Open. Really? Yeah, selling $5 pizzas, which are really just, like, a round flatbread with – like four slices of tomato and a sprinkling of cheese. If a pepperoni was five fifty, <laughs> this is in nineteen ninety. I want to say ninety five or ninety six. Yeah, just selling. In a hot ass, it was a food stand with a real pizza oven behind us. Even mm-hmm. though we was doing like these little flatbread, like yeah, it was lunchables. Yeah, l- legit lunchables. Um, hot ass, a pizza oven behind us. No AC. It'll be like ninety degrees plus the pizza oven oh. behind us. What, what what made you decide like all right I'm gonna go to the U.S. Open well, and get a job? Well, my dad my dad ran he was a part of like the concessions mm-hmm. so he would come in and like build up like he ran it so he would build up the concessions and then what they would do is they would hire different like nonprofit organizations for like you know teenagers who needed jobs and so you would get a your nonprofit would get a contract and then you would get teens at like first summer job wow and i remember i worked there for two weeks and it was long i did the day shift so i would get there maybe like eight in the morning or nine in the morning whatever it was like eight in the morning and then be done at like four or five i did it for like two weeks before i started high school and i made fifteen hundred dollars and i was like fifteen hundred dollars yo that's that's infinite money in in high school years yeah i was like i'm getting a new air masses with a bubble in it like back when like (laughs) nike when you could get the nikes yeah now you know you got to know somebody you got to make a blood offering the sneakers app just it laughs at you i know like do are you sneakerhead still no i'm not (laughs) <laughs> oh, you've avoided it. You've avoided, I've avoided it. it. I, Especially I'm with like, our circle, the people that oh, you're friends yeah, with. No. You know, my group of friends, my my shout out to Six Foot Nothing Comedy Crew. They were the first ones that bought me a, my first pair of Jordans. They collected, we got together, and bought oh. me my first ones, patent leather ones. Yeah. 
And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. I dogged them during time. I was wearing them, wearing them. They were like, you're not supposed to wear them, wear them. They were like, these are shoes, yo. What you want me to do with them? I'm on the road. I'm fucking Wisconsin with these bitches oh on. Oh, my God. Just running through cornfields <laughs> with the patent leathers on. Yeah. They're like, we spent good money. We each spent $20 on I that know, shit just right? to get you these shoes. Yep. And you out here wearing them? Dogging them. How dare you? <laughs> No, yeah, that, that that's a serious thing. You see somebody get a crease in their shoe and it, it part of you. I know. That's why I'm like, I can't, I can't get, I can't be that attached to a sneaker. You better off. I think also because I play basketball. So it's like, I don't, it's a part of what my day, like it's not right. like. Yeah. I can't imagine like just, you know, even basketball players being so particular about their shoes. I mean, some people just have like crazy collections where it's like, yeah, I'm resisting, yeah. you know, preserving them. If it's like a limited edition, if it's like a super high end designer, like I get it. But like basketball sneakers, also, I'm a woman now. So like right. now all these women are wearing ones with everything. Yeah. But like I have a big foot, so I can't be just wearing it with like a mini skirt. Like right. I don't, <laughs> that doesn't look good. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. So yeah, going back to those, you know, so, you know, you, you've, you're slinging, slinging them pizzas, yeah, right. And then you go to NYU, mm-hmm. and then you're getting into journalism. What are those early days of journalism looking like for you? As you're like, you know, trying to break stories, find stories. Mm-hmm. Like, is it like once you're out of school, you're like, do you? Well, I don't even know the path of like graduating into getting a job into being a journalist. Like, yeah. how do you get? How do you break that wall down? Well, I knew I wanted to be a journalist pretty early on, like probably about junior high school. I think my first journalism class was like an elective in junior high school. And I was like, I think I want to do this because I was the kid who was bullied, who was tall for her age, big for her age. And people mm-hmm. had so many like perce- um, preconceived notions about me. And for me, I felt like journalism was a way for me to like help other people tell their story mm-hmm. and, and document their experiences because I felt like I had always been so overlooked. And also to take, you know, accountability is like, I also made sure I was overlooked because when you are bullied as a child, you don't want to feed the monster. So you kind of like retreat back. So you aren't a target. And so for me, journalism was a way for me to express myself for me to observe and like document the things that I saw because I was very good at just like being in the mix and seeing things. Um, and I knew that journalism was what I really wanted to do. And then like living single came on and I saw Khadija James running her own magazine. I was like, that's going to be me. I'm going to run my own magazine. And when I applied to colleges, I knew I only wanted to go to a school that had a journalism program. Mm. And so I had applied to like Temple and Syracuse and University of Maryland because at the time, National Association of Black Journalists was like housed there. And I was like, I'm going to do it. And then I was playing basketball and an NYU coach came to see uh, another play on the opposite team and I shut her down and they was like, who's that? And then I saw ended up going to NYU. Wow. And after NYU, um, I only played two years at NYU, which I think was very important for me because those last two years of college it allowed me to get internships Mm -hmm. because I didn't have to worry about playing basketball and so I had time to intern I interned at the Source magazine I ran an independent hip hop newspaper we can't we just can't skim (laughs) over interning at the Source that's iconic black literature right there yeah 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 I interned and worked there I went back and got a job and worked there for what years were you at the source um I interned there my senior year of college which was uh 2001 2002 
Okay. Um, and then I went back there in like 2004 to like 2006 or seven. Those are good. So years. I was there. No, though that last part was the bad. That was when shit went left. That was when the, the Dave and Benzino got kicked out because they defaulted on a loan. No, and but I'm that's what work. I'm saying. That's the, the that's, that's when that shit was like thick. You know, oh one everything. That's like I'm I'm entering. I'm entering like middle school at that time. Oh, so that's like the Eminem beef and right, all like stuff. all that yeah. stuff. So you got to see all that. Like, were you writing like stories about that? Like, well, or like you I, know helping people kind of? No, I was there. I mean, by the time I got back there as like on the editorial staff hired, they had already pretty much like been blacklisted because mm-hmm. they were going so hard. You, they kept going so hard to Dr. Dre and Eminem. Yeah, like for you know, because also too. See, I wasn't really allowed to like dive into rap music much mm-hmm. as a kid. My parents were like super strict on that stuff. You know, I could, I could, I, I mean, I didn't own my first rap album till like high school. That was Kanye's late registration. Damn. Right? <laughs> so, and it's like I would hear stuff, you know, you would hear the radio hits mm-hmm. or, you know, hear the kid, everybody was doing the grinding beat on the table. Yeah. You know, if you didn't know the grinding beat, it's like, why are you even sitting at the lunch table right now? <laughs> but, you know, that beef and stuff that was going on during those times, like what was it like working in an environment where it's like, yo, we, we have to cover this kind of shit. Like we yeah. have to, I mean, by the time I was there, it was it's kinda, TMZ for rap. Yeah. It was kind of ridiculous at that point because it was like, it's so clear that y'all just have an ax to grind and y'all are making us write stories about shit that no one cares about. Like mm-hmm. by at, when, when I was there, they, you know, they were at war with Funkmaster Flex. They hated, like, all, every New York radio. It was like, everything was like, we got to take them down. And it's like, well, you're just, you just don't like them. And they right. don't like you. And it's not like some political grandiose scheme. And, and so it was like, we're kind of spending a lot of our time and energy on this. But what I did was I didn't focus so much on the music there. I did like the culture and the politics. So I was writing right. about, like, Senator Barack Obama before he even ran for president. I was wow. writing about, like, Hurricane Katrina. I was writing about, like other things yeah. that were uh, dealing with us because at the time we didn't have the internet. We didn't have, we had the internet. I'm not, right. I'm, not I'm not old like that, but we, but didn't it have wasn't like, so, like, it wasn't social media. It wasn't on your phone. So right. people were waiting to, you know, we would work on an article and then three months later it would be on the newsstand. So we had mm-hmm. a three month lead up time. So now imagine now if you had to wait three months to get verification on an article. You'd be like, yo, there's a black person running for president. Yeah. It's right? like, yeah, I've been running for six months. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was just a very, different time and i'm very grateful for my time at the source you know some of the best journalists that i've ever worked with were at the source magazine and now a lot of them now work in hollywood so i'm seeing them now as producers and showrunners and directors and all that stuff wow who who gave who like gave you your first opportunity like in you know finding those avenues like to you know feel like you were really doing a job like like as a journalist like who was the ones that like made like who did you make connections with early on where it's like okay yeah like this feels legit now. Mm, I would say, okay, so I, I was, this is so crazy, but like for like a hot second, I was like Kevin Powell's assistant. He fired me and then hired me back and then fired me again. Word. Uh, Cause I took too long to transcribe a Chris Rock article. Um, <laughs> took too long to, <laughs> to transcribe the tape, you know, cause back there you gotta, like I, it's funny. I just had to get something transcribed. I just like uploaded the file to like a site, and then they got it back to me in twelve hours. And yeah. I paid like a dollar a minute for the for the transcription. Oh, so but you back were in like the day, it was like press play on a recorder, type, type, type. Wait, what do you say? Rewind, press play, type, type, type. 
Okay this lady taking too long. <laughs> Transcribe yep. this article. Yep. So, uh, so Kevin Powell, who was a, an amazing journalist, one of the first, you know, first uh, writers and editors at um, Vibe magazine. Kevin Powell also was on The Real World. So I don't know if you remember the first Real World in New York City. Man, no. Yeah, like if look up the first Real World. He was on that, and he became a notable hip hop journalist. Um, and wrote a lot of amazing articles. So I was so happy to like work with him because I like looked up to him as a journalist. Yeah. Um, and I fucked up. I mean, I was slow. Like it was, it was on me. So I got fired twice. Um, but that gave me a taste of like what, like how serious and how important people take the job. I think when you hear hip hop journalism, you think it's not serious. Right. And I think now because of like bloggers and beefs and all this other stuff and podcasters, rappers who think they're journalists answer asking dumbass questions like mm. we think oh like anybody could do it but back then it was like no there is like a prestige and integrity that you know a, a reliability that you need to have and so that got me to be like i gotta be on my shit like right because it can easily be misconstrued as just gossip yeah yeah oh, i mean and that's not what it was back and then um, right. and so i would say that was like the first taste of being like okay this is a real journalist i respect him i need to get my shit together um, and then after that, I would say Eric Parker, he was um, an editor. He was a music editor at The Source, and that's how I got my internship. I was volunteering with a youth group, uh, the New York Association of Black Journalists, which I did when I was like in high school because I knew I wanted to be a journalist. And they had the summer program where you would um, do a, a broadcast and you would do a newspaper as a group. Mm. Um, and so actual journalists would mentor the teens in the program, and I had done that for like two years. And so I was now in college and I came to like help out and we went to a field trip to the Source magazine. Yeah. And somebody, one of the students was you know, like in high, I'm in college and they're like, like everybody getting fighting stance. We're going to the Source. Yep. <laughs> and so one of the, one of the teens in the program was like, how do you get an internship? And uh, Eric Parker, who was the music editor at the time was like, oh, you know, you send your resume. And I was like, well, actually I sent my resume and you never got back to me. And he was like, really? Let's talk. And then he hired me after that as his intern. And, now he's a like a award-winning right uh director and pre- he did the Nas documentary and won like an Oscar wow. for it and you know he he's in a documentary filmmaker and so he's still like low key my mentor even though like yeah. we're both grown ass adults but you know I'm working on a project and I'm like hey give me some tips so right. for sure like could you see yourself making a documentary? Yeah, I'm working on one now. Yeah. I am. I'm on the uh, early stages of one independently that I'm working on. And um, that's another reason why I've been coming out to New York is yeah. to like meet with the subject and like, you know, get everything. In. It's very, very early. Documentaries mm. take a really long time. But the way I look at it, it's like a documentary. It's like writing a feature article on someone, but it's just on camera. Right. I'm always like baffled by documentaries where they just have this footage yeah. where I'm like, where'd you... Where'd y'all find this? And also, too, like, how do you have the wherewithal to record somebody in their early stages mm-hmm. where you're just like, oh, yeah, they're going to make it? Oh, yeah, like the Kanye? Thing? Yeah, like, it's so but weird. See, like, any, but any of them, not even just Kanye, though. Anybody. But you have, you have an idea. I think we don't think about recording like that now because everybody records themselves. Yeah. But when you meet someone who's dynamic, like, if you met a Kanye... And you're in a studio with him for like eight hours a night. And you're like, this dude is different. Like, I think we should probably be recording this. Like even seeing them working in their environment. Like you're like, I think this is special. You kind of because you just turn somebody just turns into a specimen at that point. Like it's just. Yeah. 
it's so wild like but some people like to document themselves like i truly i mean everybody documents themselves at this point almost to a point where it's like hey chill out well i think it's the quality of the documentation that's the problem because if you think if you're thinking ahead like i need to record this because i'm special but you're not doing anything special then that's a problem right but i mean yeah it's just it's just interesting now to see like the social media aspect of it all where you know, I'm guilty of it. I'll I'll post like the gym video or whatever. Cause you out here trying to get. You know, I'm just out here trying to trying to throw people through walls. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, where it's like, this is a day in the life of X Y Z or whatever, mm-hmm. where people start their day like they'll set up the tripod at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's do insane. the whole thing. Like you'll see it with like, yeah. you know, the mom blogs, all that kind of stuff. Where I'm just like, damn, what what is this? But people buy into it. Yeah, but they're doing it because they know that it can lead to like a partnership deal or right. like something like that. It's not like yeah. like I watched um, the the Andy Warhol Diaries, which I thought was really interesting because he basically had a woman who he talked to every day and told his story like the day before I like I went and did Jordan's podcast and then I went and had a show and I had dinner with this person. He would call her every day and mm-hmm. she would type his diary right and so now we have this like archive of everything that he did you know and they use that to make a documentary and so i think you as an individual have to have the foresight to be like i should probably document some of these things or i'm yeah. in a moment where it would be a race and i always get envious when i see like old like family family videos and i'm like y'all motherfuckers all had like camcorders in like that's video what i'm saying though that's why i'm like <laughs> Where y'all like people one have the equipment mm-hmm. like I, I you know, I have some I'm sure my family we have some yeah. tapes laying around me yeah. playing or whatever. But I'm like, who's keeping them? It's a mom's job. Like moms keep it. Yeah. Dads will clear out a garage and <laughs> moms will go through the roof. That might be me projecting. No, <laughs> but, well, but yo, like. Moms will hold on to all that stuff. My mom is trying to give me my stuff now. She was like, I have all this stuff from when you were in like kindergarten. Do you want it? I'm like, oh, what do I, what right. do I want this stuff? But I'm just saying, it's like, how did, like, every documentary I'm watching, I'm like, where the fuck did y'all get all this footage from? Like, how, like, how did y'all document so much stuff? How did you film all this? How did you keep it, preserve it? Like, you know, the, now the iPhone, it'd be like, you out of space. You want to up, you want to upgrade Man. to $10 a month? And I'm like, fuck you, iPhone. I, I had gotten a, a lot of amount of food pics and nudes that I can keep on Ooh, here. Not the nudes. What what phone don't got nudes on it? Well, where do, do you put them? Do you hide them in a? Do you, you hide gotta them? hide them? Yeah, you gotta hide you them. Gotta hide them. Yeah, but you gotta eventually take them off your phone at some point and like and store then them. upload them to a server. No, you gotta put them on an external hard drive so right. that no one else can get them. That's what you do. I don't have nudes. None. Of who? Of myself? Either. I mean, I've had, I don't have nudes like that. Like, I don't have sexually suggested nudes. I have, like, a picture of myself to see, like, my progress for, like, weight loss. Progress. Yo, if I asked a girl for a nude, she sent me a progress pic, I'd be like, progress your ass up out of my DMs. Oh, I don't send nudes to men. That's No? Ladies do not send nudes to men. Never? Never. 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 Mm -mm. What if you're in a relationship with a guy? So if you're in a relationship, this is what I suggest. I suggest that it's like if you want to take a picture of me, that you gotta you have to take the picture of me and I have to approve the picture. What? And my head face can't be in it. You make it like a, what a boo in the, 
like a boudoir Jack photo Dawson shoot. and Rose yeah Titanic situation is yeah, going yeah. on here no evidence no face no case wow doesn't send a new and then if you want it you got to be in person seeing you already naked yeah take and the then take the picture but the whole point of the nude is is like a invitation it's like a it's like a it's like a preview nope it's it's the Nicole Kidman's prayer before the movie comes on at AMC nope. we nope. come to this place to Mm-mm. lose ourselves, to have yeah. an immersive experience. Heartbreak feels good in a place like That's this. That's right. No. And then you bust all up in your <laughs> sheets. <laughs> Yo, that's, man. I'm a grown woman, Jordan. I feel that, but. I can't have evidence. Because also, I, I believe there's probably like a sex tape of me out there floating around on a VHS tape. You talk about like archive and shit. <laughs> there's definitely Yo, a real tape. A real tape Yo, somewhere out there. Something that you got to put in the, like the fast rewind yeah, machine. I was under 18, so they can't show oh, it. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, Tracy Lords out this bitch. Um, yeah. You don't know who Tracy Lords is. Tracy Lords, do you know who Tracy Lords is? Tracy Lords was a porn star who became like a like an actress, but she did mad porn. And then she was like, oh, by the way, I was not of age. And so they had to erase all Scrub the porn. everything. Yeah. So you can't find any of her stuff. But Tracy Lords, she's an actress. If you saw her, she was in like movies and stuff. Wow. Think about being the person that finds out that later. Like, like the dude. Yeah. And then you're like, what? It was a, it was the eighties and nineties was a very different time. But also I just want to clarify the videos here for me. I did not willingly subject myself to that. I'm sure I was at a dude's house and he like had a camera somewhere on a bookcase. Yeah. The teddy bear camera. No, I'm pretty sure it was like probably like a video, like a video, video camera. This wow. is going and back you to you time. didn't hear the no in the I background didn't hear, you didn't hear the, this, like, the tape word in the I background like, I was like it's weird how he always kept positioning me in a certain way and the lights were on you know what I mean and then I had to think about it after and I was like probably videotape me yeah probably but I'm sure it's been like recorded over yeah he's probably got some like you know. Young and the Restless on top of it or something. No, at this I mean point. nobody is even. No one even has a VCR. Like this is like a VCR. Right. Type. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then that's that's fine. It's wrong. You're fine. VCR. I mean, you might as well be looking at caveman drawings at right? that point. Hello. I think you're safe. Yeah. I think you're safe. <laughs> wow. That's a first. VCR VHS tape. Yeah. <laughs> Say safe. Yep. That's 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 the one. I mean, that's what, listen. T- wasn't Pamela and Tommy's on a VHS tape? Yeah, I mean, that's back when you could go on a talk show and talk about your sex tape. <laughs> you can't do that no more. Think about no. that. Well, now nobody, people just have OnlyFans. It's not even about like yeah. the sex tape. They're just like, I'm a celebrity who has OnlyFans. Right. Yeah. Pay to see my taint. That's right. But you're not going on Jimmy Fallon and having him slap the desk. No. As you know, you talk about your $5 a month taint. I know. But see, I think Pam and Tommy were the couple who everybody was like, of course they have a sex tape. Look at them. Right. And that was a big one. I mean, that was kind of the that, that shuffled the in the one. era of, of yeah, the sex tape. That was the first one. Yeah. They put us on to the fact that you could actually film stuff yourself. Oh, yeah. At home. Because up until that point, it's like, oh, we have to go to a theater mm-hmm. or, or you know, through a, a doorway with beads hanging down <laughs> to get a sex tape. Yeah. But then they were like, you don't even have to do that. No. You can just do do it yourself mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. home. This can be a, a yeah. in-house arrangement. But look, see, exactly. You talk about nudes. Imagine how sexy that is. You and your partner 
get the bedroom all nice, the ambiance flowing, and you make your own sex tape. What's the ambiance for you? What's what's gonna be a what's sex tape worthy ambiance? Because, you know, listen, I got a duvet, <laughs> I got two throw pillows, and a and a standing mirror. Uh huh. That's that's base level ambiance. Yeah, you need some candles. Candles. You need a mood light. Like actually, you don't even need candles. Candles are passe. You need like a mood light where you can like change the color. So you need smart light bulbs. Yeah, yeah. Hugh Phillips, mm-hmm. not sponsored, but yep. a playlist, a nice playlist. You're a playlist person. Yeah, you gotta set the mood. You don't because you don't want to hear a bad song in the middle of it. So you gotta curate. I never play music. Oh, okay. I never play music. Right. My, I just go into it. Yeah, like we you just need a little. You need a little. I know a little. You don't like to fuck to a beat. You don't like to hear. I make the beat. Oh my gosh! Them cheeks make the beat. You got mad instruments around here. You don't need music. You don't like a soundtrack. That's beforehand. Like, or I got this record player too. Sometimes I'll I'll pick a record. We'll pick a record. Listen uh-huh. to something. Gets the mood set. Yep. And then you know retreat to the bedroom. Then retreat. But yeah. after that, it's like I'm not like hold on now. Let me pull up Spotify. And pull up my my sexy list. time playlist. Get a sexy list list. I never, it never even. Yeah. Also, if you making mad noise, you don't want your neighbors hearing. No, it. I want them to hear it. Oh, I God. want them to know what's going on. This is you gentrifying a building. You know these people ain't fucking here like that. I want them to know that they need to be like, <laughs> God damn, yo, oh, my God, that apartment on that floor. Listen, I stopped going to a guy's house because I was like, we is this is not soundproof enough for me, like. I can't. And it was like a studio, you know, so the bed is like not that far off from the door. And, you know, you yeah. walk out, people be like, mm-hmm, girl, girl. I'm like, no, no, we ain't got, I'm not coming over here no more. <laughs> I think that's the signifier of a good time. I think that's like, that's mission accomplished to me. I mean, it's a good time, but like, you know, I'm, I'm weirdly private. Like I'm public, yeah. but I'm also private. Like, right. I don't want you seeing, I don't want you making contact with me like, in the act of being like, I just saw you do something. I can tell you about it, fine. But like you looking at me, being like, I just saw you do that thing. Right. So when you're a, on stage or a journalist, you're Chloe Hillier, but in the bedroom, you got a you got a pen name. Oh yeah, I mean you know there's NDAs and a whole bunch of stuff going on. Okay, I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. All right. Well, so when 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 did you transition from journalism to comedy? Like when does that come into play? Yeah. So I was doing. S- comedy for I mean not comedy I was doing journalism for a while and it was around the recession when Obama was president that mm-hmm. I was like I got laid off from the village voice I was a reporter there um and then I started just freelancing and then I ended up at Vibe magazine and I was there for a bit and then I left that to around when when I was at Vibe say 2008 2009 um, I was like kind of burnt out. The journalism world was all about like stealing other people's content to put it online because everybody was like, we got to get 30 stories a day up on the internet. That's when that's when Twitter was like starting to populate. That's okay. when like, you know, everybody was like, it's all about the website and everything was about like publishing articles on the website. And I was like, having been at The Voice and writing long investigative articles and working on something for like three months to all of a sudden being like, just regurgitate the New York Times articles and just post it on the website. I was like, this is not for me. And I wanted to transition into um, broadcast journalism. I wanted to be like a host or something like that. And so I took a stand-up comedy class. 
to talk and be comfortable in front of people and be witty and fun. And I had a graduation show and all of my friends and family came and everybody was like, so when is your next show? And I was like, there was, I was, that was the finale. It was never supposed to be another show. Right. And then 10 years later, now 13 going on 14 years later. Wow. Where was the class? At the time it was at comics on, it was like, like 23rd street or 14th street, something like that. You just looked it up. Uh, a friend had taken a class, and he said, you should do this, and I did. I signed up for it. I took it, and yeah. uh, we met, like, once a week, and you had a teacher. And You remember like, your teacher? Um, Corey Kahaney. Okay. A woman comedian. Her name is Corey Kahaney. Super funny. And she, we would go up there. Everybody would do, like, a minute of material, and she would give feedback, and the class would give you feedback. And then at the end, you had a five-minute set. You went up there, and you did your set. Wow. Yeah. Anybody else in your graduating class is still actively doing it? Uh, Molly Austin. Okay, yeah. Yeah, she and I started together. She oh, wow. was the only person that I remember that I can think of who's still like everybody yeah. else kind of just fell by the wayside. Right. Yeah. It, it'll weed itself out. You know, I, it's interesting because I think I did it and it kind of felt like, oh, okay, this is cool. Not like, oh, this is hard. Like, it was hard getting into the business, understanding the industry, like mm-hmm. getting in, getting shows. Like, that was kind of like tedious and shows that you really wanted it. But, like, as far as like getting on stage and talking and doing the material, I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, yeah. Then, like, you know, after how long was it before your second show where, you know, you do your graduation show? It goes well enough to the fact that I I just started doing more open mics. I did a bunch of open mics and it would be me, Molly. um, Like she would go there and sign us up because I was working still and then I would meet her and then we would go and do like open mics. And and then from there, I started doing like one show a month and it was like one show a week. Then it was like two shows a week. And then I um, the guy who's comedy class the school manhattan school of comedy he moved when comics shut down he went to gotham and so he aligned himself with gotham comedy club Mm -hmm. and then i kind of made that my home and i did a show with him there like a bringer show which is when you are a new comic you gotta bring like 10 15 people in order to get stage time yeah um they say you want to get up here yeah pad the room yep and exactly. then we'll give you some stage time. Maybe. And if and if and, and this guy, if you didn't bring like 10 people, he would cut your time. So it would be like, oh, you only brought like four people. You're going to do three and a half minutes. Our, the club I started in, they would make you pay the, the difference. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. No. It's like, oh, you, no. you don't have five people? <laughs> well, that's five a pop. So $25. Damn. That's crazy. And it's you, a racket. So, yeah. um, so he did a show at Gotham. And the selling point was like, if you do the show at Gotham, the owner is going to come and watch you. And so I was like, yeah, I would love to get feedback from the owner of Gotham Comedy Club. And so I did the show. And at the end, you know, he took us to the green room one by one. And he talked to us and he had notes and everything. And he was like, I really like this joke. This is really funny, blah, blah, blah. He was like, how long have you been doing it? I was like, seven months. He was like, what? Right. Seven months. You need this is your comb club. I want you here all the time. And then I started like hosting and then featuring and then being there all the time, like at all the time. Wow. And and then uh, and that's how I got better because I was started hosting those bringer shows, which was like a two and a half hour show damn near. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, just getting on stage, somebody bomb, get up there. Somebody jump the light, get off fast. You got to run up there and bring the energy up, you know, like. So I did all of that. Um, and then three years into stand up, I did last comic standing. I made it to the quarterfinals 
No, semifinal. No, sorry. Wait, wait, we're going too fast. Three years into stand-up. Three years into stand-up. You're doing Last Comic Standing. I was on the reboot of Last Comic Standing. Who's hosting? Um, JB Smooth. Okay, so JB Smooth is hosting. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And J. Oh, so speaking about putting it on, JB Smooth was hosting, and I made it to the semifinals. I was like one of the semifinalists, right? I think it was like the top 25. I don't know, yeah. whatever it is. And Wanda Sykes was the producer on the show. So I met her when I was working on Last Comic Standing. And then her and her producing partner, we stayed in touch. Fast, fo oh, fast forward a couple years, 2017, um, they hit me up and was like, hey, we're working on a sketch show idea. Like, would you like to come right on the show? So I go to L.A. I work on the show for like a week. I'm there for a week in 2017. Um, and then, or two weeks, whatever it was. And then that ended. And before I could even leave to come back to New York, one of the writers in that room had referred me to another show. And they were like, hey, this show starts on Monday. Can you stay for three months? So I ended up being in L.A. for like three and a half months when I was supposed to be there for like a week or two. And What show was that? Um, it didn't go through. Yeah. It was just like I was working on a project. But the checks went through. Oh, the checks went through. Yeah. And so that show didn't get picked up. Um, and then I was like, I got to go back to New York. I've been living out of a suitcase. I'm sleeping on an air mattress in my friend's like kitchen. I got to go back. And but do you feel at that time, you know, you're seeing people, I mean, you're three years because you, you understand. Well, at that time, do you understand three years in and doing last comic is not typical? No, I'm weird. Like, I don't. I don't get hung up on like how big something is. I just say I need to, I'm here for a reason and I, and I need to believe that I'm here for a reason. Right. Cause if I allow that to get into my head, then I won't be able to like seize the moment. But you appreciate it still. Oh I'm yeah, sure. yeah. Oh, I appreciate it. I'm very grateful. Yeah. Like it definitely gave me experience. Um, and I also knew, I think because I'm like, naive in a way at that point in my career that I didn't give it the weight that everybody else gave it. And yeah. to the point where like I had just started doing NACA, which is touring colleges around the country. And they have these uh, conferences where you basically go perform and people say, yes, we want to book you. And so you can get booked out for like a year. And so I had to do a NACA national, which is like the biggest one. Yeah. The same time as like performing for a bunch of college kids <laughs> yes. that are deciding whether or not yeah, they, they should give you mm -hmm. their school's money. Yep. So a bunch of new adults mm -hmm. actively going into debt. Yeah. Deciding whether you're funny enough or not to come to Nebraska to book you to to get two thousand dollars in Nebraska mm -hmm. and sleep in a shitty hotel and hopefully find your way out with a cab service that's a, uh, around town. Yep. But you're at NACA Nationals. Yeah. And it was the same time that I needed to go to Hollywood for last comic standing. Like, you know, they were shooting people like it was I don't know if it was the audition process or it was like the shooting process, but whatever it was it was in production. Mm. And they were like, we need you to come here for this day for last comic standing. And I was like, no, because I'm going to NACA Nationals and I'm not missing this because I can book a year's worth of work money if guaranteed money. I don't know what's happening with this show. Right. And so I was like, well, I can't make that day. You got to have me come another day. And they were like, who the fuck does she think she is? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And Yo, so <laughs> if a three year in comic was telling me like, I can't do your rinky dink little NBC show that's on national television. Yeah. I 
have to go to NACA Nationals yep, to make this money. Right. Um, and then Paige, Wanda's producing partner, who I'm like, she's like a mentor to me now. Mm. She called me. She was like, well, now what's happening? Because, you know, by the time it gets to like the top person, it's gone through like, so So they're like, she said she's not coming. So she called me like, what is, what is going on? Because yeah. like, we know you, what's happening? And I was like, yeah, I have to go do NACA Nationals. Like, this is guaranteed money. I can I can legit make $125,000 this year if I do these colleges. I don't know what's happening with this little day rate yeah. show. Like, I don't know. So they was like, my okay. three minutes. Yeah. And so they switched my dates, and I went and did NACA, and I booked all these shows, and I did Last Comic Stand, and I made it to, like, the top 25. That's some baller shit right there, dude. Because, you know, I started comedy later. I started comedy at 29. So I've already worked. I've had lives. I've worked. I've had careers. So I know how to, like, navigate the space. And, yes, I'm happy to be here, but I also know that I work to be here. So I don't go into it being like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I go into it being like, this, I prepared my way, my way here, whether I know it or not. I'm supposed to be here. Let me seize the moment. But I'm also not going to let it derail me from other things that I need to do. See, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's an invaluable mindset to have, though, because so many of us as comics, everything seems like a do or die situation. Mm-hmm. Everything seems like the only opportunity yeah. you'll get. Yeah. So even like having last comic and if something like that were to come up, nine out of 10 comics would just choose one or the other and like just go with the bird in the hand. Yeah. And, you know, just just have a damn near mm-hmm. panic attack trying to figure it out because nope. we feel like we can't tell anybody no oh i love early telling people on no. right i love telling people no because i already knew that i had an opportunity what happened something that was up. uh oh. that was my amazon telling me something about the oh. weather um no i just know that you know nothing is guaranteed and especially when it comes to like entertainment and television people love you one day and then they hate you the next yeah. so i needed to fortify my bank account because I needed to make sure that I could live. I can't live off of being on TV once or twice and getting eliminated. And also not even knowing if they're going to air my shit. Because it was mad people who were on that season with us who did not get airtime. Right. So you can't even use the credit because yeah. you didn't make it on TV. Yeah, like I was on last comment. We didn't no, see you on the DVR. Mm-mm. We didn't see you in a commercial nothing. or nothing. Nothing. We didn't see JB like spittle coming out nope. the next comic comes to the stage not even in a montage absolutely hilarious yeah so yeah i mean it, yes it's ballsy but i mean it worked out and i still have a great relationship with him and you know we do business together and i can hit him up with questions about my career now that i'm living in la and writing TV right. and stuff like that yeah damn i mean that's that's just like it, it's it's like commendable like i i wish i even had that much like just gumption to be like nah fuck y'all i got i got this <laughs> potential money to go make no, i mean it's not like fuck y'all it's i know like, but it's just it's like, like but uh, there there is like a a, a confidence of fuck you-ness well, to it I where it's like, not like you know suck my dick yeah but it's just like hey i'll be back just hold it down for a yeah. second i feel you know? like if people want you they want you yeah and that's it and, and you almost have to like just like present that to you have to make them feel that way yeah like you have to have that like air of confidence where it's just like no i know y'all want me so i'm gonna go do this and you're still gonna want me to be here mm-hmm. right or if you don't at least i got this other thing like i'm not at a loss and i think especially when you do it like hollywood yeah. people are like well what does she know that we don't know mm-hmm. if they feel like they're comfortable with like dipping out it's all a trick 
it is it's such there's it's such so mind much, tricks to know. just popularity in yeah. general yeah. because the same person that you would like sit with and just have a normal conversation mm -hmm. with like once it's because it's all perception everything is perception yeah so once they get you know on to a different level than where they were when mm -hmm. you were just sitting across from each other then all of a sudden it just becomes like oh i'm in their presence yeah and you know it's, it's like a big deal that i'm hanging out with them now even though y'all are just shooting the shit Yep. you know five months I know, ago i know it's all about the cool factor people love to be around people who they think are cool yeah it's um i call it like the it's like the apple theory so if you go to a grocery store and you're looking for produce and you get to the apples and you know there's a bunch of apples in the bin you're like okay yeah i'll get one of these apples but if there's just one apple left in the bin you're like what the fuck is wrong with that apple don't want that one yeah mm -hmm. and i'm the type of person i'm i'm going to the bottom i'm like mm -hmm. taking them all because i'm like oh people touch those was down here oh nobody found that one thank you right yeah right all right it's 7 15 so 7 15 you gotta go <laughs> oh she's got moves to make all right so before you go um yes. uh with the spirit of the podcast you know we like to pay it forward here um i want to know who you feel like is somebody whether it's comedy journalism writing and television you know because uh you you've done it all mm -hmm. so who do you feel that the people should know about who needs to be put on Mm, um, I would say comedy wise, Amina Amani, um, who Hilarious. I've known for a very long time. And I think it's interesting because we know people for a long time, but it's like the world may not know them. And I feel like she's someone who has a very unique voice. I think she's hilarious. She feels like everybody's friend. She, her energy is amazing. She's incredible to she, be around. Yeah, she's great laugh. Yeah, all of bright. that all of that and i'm so glad that you know over these past like two or three years especially during a pandemic that she's really like thrived and like come mm -hmm. out of her shell i mean the shell of like the shell of like wanting to proactively be in the business it's hard to explain you know what i'm saying like no yeah of it's course. a thing of being like i love doing this thing and i think a lot of us like i love doing this thing but now I got to like do the business part of it. And I think right. that's that's where a lot of people fall off because it's like it's hard. The business part is a lot. So um, I would definitely say Amina Amani. I would say Sydney Washington. Mm -hmm. um, I would say Marie Faustine. Mm -hmm. uh, um, yes, I'm saying black women um, because please to no names. Please. Um, I think those are three women for sure who are I yeah. feel like working. We'll put all their handles on yeah. the screen. And they're all fantastic people, fantastic mm -hmm. comics, fantastic talents. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I definitely want to have them on here. They're they're on my list yeah. of, of people to have on here. So um, but thank you so much, Chloe, for uh, coming on the podcast. It really does mean a lot. And uh, yeah, I think you're amazing. And uh, please follow Chloe. Um, do you have anything that you want to share with people Any yes. road dates or anything like that? Absolutely. I am going on the road. Um, you can catch me at a city near you. I will be in. Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Chicago, Seattle, Portland, L.A., New York City, and D.C., and more dates are coming. So if you want to go to my website, ChloeHilliard.com, all the tickets are listed there. And make sure you come to a show. Let me know that you met me on the podcast so we can, you know, be friends. That's right. <laughs> all right, cousins. Thank you. We'll see you on the next one. Peace.